Imagine this for a sec. You're a successful defense attorney, so naturally you get people coming to you for help when they've been accused of crimes they didn't commit. One day, a young woman by the name of Sasha Buckler, who's an employee of a local aquarium slash sea park and dresses up as a pirate to do swashbuckling shows, comes to your office and tells you that she needs help. Her friend is being accused of murder, you see, the murder of one Jack Shipley who's the owner of the aquarium. You're all too happy to help, of course, so you go with Sasha to learn more and meet her friend, the accused, who turns out to be a killer whale named Orla. So how are you supposed to defend an orca that's being accused of murder? Well, the same way you defend anyone else, by gathering evidence. This is Philosophiraga, the show about video games and philosophy, and today we're pressing forward with our module on epistemology, the philosophy of knowledge. The scenario that I just described is the opening of Turnabout Reclaimed, a case from the fifth Ace Attorney game Dual Destinies. If you've played any Ace Attorney game, you know that this isn't that far-fetched by the standards of the series. In the very first game, you have to cross-examine a parrot during a murder case. Throughout the franchise, all kinds of weird things happen, including people briefly coming back from the dead to give evidence. Although, of course, they never do anything, so Nita's actually telling anyone who did it. And again, in Dual Destinies, there's a case where you have to interview not one, but two space station workers who happen to be robots. So to cut a long story short, things are kind of weird in the world that Phoenix Wright lives in, but that's okay. There's a kind of internal logic to everything that happens, and there's never a case that can't be solved by a dedicated squad of attorneys, investigators, and uh, teenager magicians. But how is anyone supposed to solve such convoluted mysteries in such a strange universe? Well, it always starts with evidence. Evidence is power. You don't start out with any ready-made, pre-known knowledge, so your only option is to find clues. Things you can piece together into a big picture, snippets you can use to make deductions and work out what happened. You might remember that in the last episode we made the distinction between a priori knowledge, knowledge before or independent of sensory experience, and a posteriori knowledge, which is knowledge that comes after or from experience. Well, Phoenix Rice and Co. are all about that a posteriori. There are no assumptions, just find things, investigate clues, experience as much as possible in order to shape some sort of hypothesis and then logic it out from there. Of course, in practice, Phoenix's strategy often ends up resorting to something like, I have no idea here, so I'm just going to bluff until something works. But in theory, the idea is that he'll be able to gain knowledge and form conclusions based on the available evidence. So here we have a contrast to rationalism. Rationalism, as we looked at last time, says that we can know some things independently of having experienced them. Empiricism, on the other hand, is the view that all of our knowledge must be a posteriori, it can only come from having sensory experience. We can only gain knowledge by experiencing things, and that's… that's that, basically. I mentioned last time that reason is a big part of rationalism, so it's probably worth clearing up that empiricists don't necessarily deny that reason exists, just that it can only be used in relation to stuff we already know, and it can't just magic knowledge out of nowhere. A well-known image in empiricism is the blank slate, or tabula rasa if you're into your Latin. John Locke popularised the phrase to indicate that we have nothing in our minds at birth. If you imagine our minds as a slate, or I suppose more modern, a whiteboard, they're clean when we begin our lives with nothing already written on them. 
In most Ace Attorney cases, when you start the new case, your slate is wiped clean, with Phoenix, or whoever is the playable character in that case, not having any information in their case files until you found some to add in. I mean, you get to carry over a couple of things like your lawyer badge, but the point is that you don't get to know anything in advance without having experienced it. What do we do with that sense experience, then? Well, we interpret it. I guess we encode it into our minds with some mechanism that takes the stuff that comes in through our senses and turns that into something we can hold in our little brain thingies. In Phoenix's case, gaining new knowledge is codified mechanically within the games by the addition of clues or information to your case files. It's using these little bits of knowledge in conjunction with some deductive reasoning that allows Phoenix, and of course the player, to prove arguments, refute inconsistencies, and ultimately reach the truth. Where do we run into problems, though? Well, Phoenix runs into problems on an extremely regular basis. You know, new evidence appears, some outside force interferes with the case, his boss slash mentor gets murdered. You know, normal lawyer stuff, I assume. What we might want to ask, though, is how we can actually turn an experience into knowledge of a proposition. That is to say, knowledge that something is true. Well, it's time for some more terms. Analytic knowledge and synthetic knowledge. So, synthetic knowledge is something that is true because that is the way that the world happens to be. You can synthesize this kind of knowledge, if you like, by corroborating the picture that you have through experience. For example, I can synthesize the knowledge that I have size 9 feet, and that's UK size, I don't know what that translates to elsewhere, so don't judge my feet, by experiencing a measuring device that shows size 9 while also experiencing my feet. Put these things together, and I have some new knowledge about the thing. Analytic knowledge, meanwhile, is true by definition. All bachelors in the world, for example, are unmarried. We know this because the word bachelor means not married. You might notice that there's a degree of correspondence between these new terms and the ones we've already introduced, a priori and a posteriori. You can get synthetic knowledge a posteriori because you experience things and then make new concepts from them, but analytic knowledge might be possible a priori. I don't have to meet every bachelor in the world to test that each of them is unmarried. Does this pose a problem for empiricists who refute the idea that a priori knowledge exists at all? Well, probably not, because they'll just say something like, aha, but you had to have an experience that taught you the meaning of those words. And then you wonder why they're Sean Connery. I don't know why I said it like Sean Connery. Was it like Sean Connery? It kind of sounded to me like it was like Sean Connery, but maybe it wasn't. Anyway, they'll say something like that in a more normal voice, and then you can deduce from their... From the experience that taught you the meaning of those words, you can deduce what's going on, and that's fine. Even Mr. Tabula Rasa himself, John Locke, admitted that while he didn't think we have any knowledge innately within us, there might well be some aspect of our conscious mind, or maybe of our biology, that provides the mechanisms for compiling experiences into knowledge, using induction, deduction, synthesis, analysis, and so on and so forth. Now, Phoenix's usual method in the games, I think, is kind of a combination of analysis and synthesis. He both uses logic to establish the meaning of things and test whether that makes sense, and puts together bits of information to form new hypotheses. However, his cross-examination method is by necessity putting the test to synthetic propositions. It can't ever be true that a particular person was the murderer by definition, that just doesn't make sense, so analytic knowledge isn't much use for finding out this kind of truth. In fact, Phoenix's method relies on spotting inconsistencies, things that don't make sense, usually in order to prove that something is not 
the case. So I reckon Phoenix is kind of the king of the scientific method, which is an approach that lots of real-life disciplines use to try and get to truth of one kind or another. The scientific method is an empirical approach which says, and I'm simplifying horrendously here but just for convenience, it basically says that it's really hard to prove something for sure, but you can prove something not to be the case with a single bit of evidence that falsifies the claim. Falsification is an interesting concept that I should probably go into at some point a bit later on if we ever get to philosophy of science, but basically it boils down to whether something can be proved true or false. It is really, really hard to prove anything true. Like I said, if you were to do that with bachelors, you would have to meet every bachelor in the world and make sure that they were all unmarried. But it's really easy to prove a hypothesis false, because if you found a single bachelor who wasn't married, suddenly you know that it isn't the case that all bachelors are unmarried men. Anyway, finding things that tell you that some hypothesis isn't true is useful because you can eliminate as many hypotheses as possible. Then hopefully you should be left with the most useful, accurate, or complete knowledge. In Ace Attorney cases, your goal is not usually to prove that someone in particular did do the murder. You're a defense attorney after all, not a prosecutor. Your goal is usually to prove that your client couldn't have done the murder. The way to do this is to take a clue, something you know from experience, and use it to contradict someone's story or point out something that's obviously false. So, some other interesting implications of empiricism. David Hume was an extremely influential empiricist, and because my grandma would want to mention this, he was from Scotland. He opposed the idea that we could ever know anything innately at all. Of course he did, he was an empiricist, that's what that means. He got from there to proposing that we can't even know that causality really exists, that because we're just bundles of sensations, we can't directly experience a concept like causation. We can only see one thing happening after another and assume that they must be related. This is called the problem of induction, assuming that because something happened in a particular way once, it'll do so again. The problem of induction extends to things like assuming that the sun will rise tomorrow because it did today, or that the boiling temperature of water might not suddenly be really different next week, it might just plummet, causing all the seas to immediately vaporise. You know, we feel pretty safe most of the time, I think, in assuming that these things won't happen, and maybe we kind of have to, otherwise we'd all be terrified, but Hume reckons we don't really have any way of experiencing whatever force might make it certain that this couldn't just occur for no reason. In most cases, investigations, whether they are real-life scientific investigations or the ones Phoenix does, do have to proceed with a couple of underlying assumptions in order that we don't just constantly wonder why the world isn't ending. Hume also wanted to look for naturalistic explanations of moral behaviour. Famously, he said, you can't get an ought from an is, which means that a factual statement about something being the case can never directly imply a moral statement that something should be the case. This was a bit of an influence on J.S. Mill, our friend from our earlier episode on utilitarianism. If you remember, Mill wanted to create a moral system where you could work out the right thing to do based on something factual. You could do kind of a calculation that would tell you what the right thing to do in any circumstance was based on the outcome. So perhaps Mill was trying to see what facts about the world might actually be possible to give rise to some sort of right and wrong judgments. Neither Hume nor Mill, of course, were moral realists. They didn't think that there were actual things in the world that were good or bad, and thus we couldn't experience those things. So how do we get around this? Well, perhaps we go from something that we can experience to a moral judgement. Hume wasn't so sure, but Mill tried to. And one more interesting implication of empiricism while we're at it. George Berkeley, a bishop we'll be seeing a little bit more of in our next module, was an empiricist who thought not only can we only learn things through experience, but experience is all there is, and experience doesn't actually correspond to anything else, anything real. 
The next module that we cover in Philosophy Raga will be ontology, the philosophy of, well, reality, of what there is, and we'll definitely be spending an episode on Berkeley's idealism because it's surprisingly influential and it also has some hilarious anecdotes attached to it. To give you a bit of a preview on that one though, basically Berkeley says all of our knowledge comes from perceptions. Now, perceptions aren't things in themselves, a thing has to be separate from perception or experience, and if all of our knowledge is perception or experience only, then we don't have any direct knowledge of things that there really are, and thus we don't know that there is in fact any kind of material reality. So that's a fun one. Returning to the question of knowledge though, I wonder what you think now that you've heard a little bit about both sides. Do you think we know anything innately, or that we can know anything innately, or does it all have to come from somewhere else, from experiences of things in the world? Let me know if you do have an answer, I'm on Twitter, at overthinkery1, reachable by email at philosopharaga at gmail.com, and of course in the comments on thewellreadmage.com. In the meantime, I hope you're all staying safe and finding things to do. You're definitely one of the fantastic people listening to this, so, I mean, that's good. There's a small chance that you might also be one of the amazing people that's been reading my novel, Each Little Universe. If so, I am genuinely endlessly grateful, and letting me know what you think of it would make me, like, so happy you wouldn't even believe it, so that would be really nice. Anyway, I feel like we've experienced just about as much as we can for now, so take care, and I hope I'll see you again next time. Thank you so much, as ever, for joining me for this episode of Philosophy Raga. It's a podcast that is written, edited, and produced by me, Chris Durston, with invaluable help from my consulting producer, Moses Norton, the well-read mage. All the music you hear in the show is by me, and the show's logo is by Moses Norton, with graphic design from By Wisdom Designs. The show is part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network, sponsored by Buzzsprout. That's awesome, and also it means that there are a whole bunch more shows out there in that network that you would definitely love, so you should check them out. The Well Read Mage's dream of a better future for gaming discussion and community is made possible by your support, so please do give Philosopher Raga a like, a follow, a review, a share, tag people you think would enjoy the show, scream about it out of your window, spread the word, I'll love you forever. And if you consider supporting us with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com slash thewellreadmage, I will personally cross-examine a parrot until it says that you are the greatest person it's ever met and proves this beyond all doubt. This particular flame is turning to embers now, but... The fire of wisdom never dies. Toodle pip. Hello, multiverse. The well-read mage here, taking a break from being a boss to sit you down and tell you a short story. It all began back in 1492. Fast forward several years, and we now have a brand new podcast called Story Mode. It features three of your favorite people, me, of course, as well as Blue, a.k.a. Writer's View, and Ryan, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews. It's literally the Triforce of Perfection. Story Mode is a weekly show founded on video game news, video game legacy, and video game discussion between three people who don't always agree, but that's okay. In fact, it's more interesting. Story Mode is part of the TWRM family of shows, and it is sponsored by Buzzsprout as part of the Little Fellow Media Podcast Network. That's story mode, agree to disagree. Find the show anywhere that podcasts are enjoyed. Hi, my name is Roger Reichert 
host of the Dialogue Tree podcast, your source for interviews with creators within the video game industry. Join me as I interview people within the gaming industry and learn about their story and share those stories with you. New episodes will release every other Thursday on iTunes, Google Play, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us at GamerHeadsPodcast.com. That's the Dialogue Tree Podcast, now part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network.